just want, if you're comfortable with this, just bow your heads and raise your hands, raise your face toward the Lord, and let's just spend a moment praising Him today. God the Father, we praise You, we love You, we adore You. Holy Spirit, we love You, we praise You. Holy Spirit, we just invite You and beg with You, make Yourself known in this room this morning. We love You. Jesus Christ, we praise you. We love you. Lord, we love you. We lift your name up, God. And again, ask your blessings as we continue. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Would you give the band a hand? I've been in the tub, so I just got down here for the last song. But man, that was great. That was great. That was great. The tub is the redneck word for the baptistry, for some of you who are wondering about that. Okay, if you hear the word king, uh, you know, hopefully you think of Jesus. He's a king or maybe somebody in the Middle East or somewhere that's a king. What about Elvis Presley? Elvis Presley was the king of what? Rock and roll. Michael Jackson got some bad press recently. The king of, of pop. Okay, here's a, here's a really heavy IQ question for you. Put his picture up. Who, who knows who this guy is? Raise your hand if you know. This is the most uncultured church. It's Jerry the King Lawler, the king of wrestling, R-A-S-S-L-I-N. You come to First Baptist, you're going to learn something every Sunday. Amen? That's Greek, by the way, wrestling, if you're wondering. This morning, we're going to look at the king of disloyalty. We're going to look at Judas. If you have a Bible, Matthew 27 is the heartbeat of our text today. And and Judas, man, Judas, (laughs) Judas left such a horrible legacy, but even from a horrible legacy, we can learn so much. And I want to help you this morning to put on lenses that we don't see Judas from the eyes of the movies that we've seen recently or how we remember him now after everything happened, but what, what the person Judas was, was probably really like and what went wrong in his life. Here's the first thing that I think happened with Judas, and it happens with us. Don't put anything over Jesus. Don't put anything over Jesus. If you're not a Christian, Christianity is about making Jesus Christ your Lord, about making him your boss, number one. If you are a Christian, you have forgotten that. Many of us have that Jesus Christ is supposed to be number one, number uno, above everything and everybody. In chapter 27, verse 1, very early in the morning, might have been about 6 a.m. on Friday morning, the morning Jesus is going to be crucified on. They met early because this is the Middle East and they don't have air conditioning. The leading priest and the elders of the people, this was probably the chief priest and his sons who, uh, a lot of people think that the, the chief priest at this time, they had bought the priesthood, the office of chief priest, high priest from the Romans. They're meeting, and it says, and the elders of the people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death. This was the, at least part of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling high court of Judaism, 70 people. They had met Thursday night. Now they're having a quick meeting, and they're going to decide they're trying to get Jesus killed. That's their end game, their, their play, what they're trying to do. In verse 2, it says, Then they bound him and led him away and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. It says they bound him. Now, 
probably for a couple of reasons. One, you, you bound prisoners, but this is Jesus. He's not like he's, he's been violent or been a threat to anybody. So they, they might have bound him literally because they thought, you know, they could keep him from doing some of his magic and getting out, you know, getting away from him. Like ropes are really going to contain Jesus, right? But it was also humiliating. I mean, if we were going to humiliate you today, one way we could do it, it would be to bring you up here and bind you and, and carry you out. And they took him to Pilate because the Jewish people could not uh, enforce the death penalty at this particular time. So they had to go to the Roman leaders. And in verse 3, we see our main character this morning. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. Well, that's a key point we'll see later. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priest and the elders. If you don't know what had happened, Judas had decided that he was going to sell out Jesus. He's one of Jesus' 12 best friends, chosen after a night in prayer to be one of the, the gang. And he decided at some point that he was going to betray Jesus. And so he betrayed him. He had led some uh, Roman soldiers and some temple guards to Jesus. He greets Jesus, and he kisses him on the cheek. He betrays him. And so he's probably watching from a distance, and he sees all this going on now. And the question for 2,000 years is, why did he do it? Why did he do it? I want to tell you one of the reasons he did it. He was greedy, and he loved money. I mean, it's just as simple as that. You notice it said for 30, the, the 30 pieces of silver. If you go back to Matthew 26, verse 14 uh, through 16, one chapter back, listen to what it says. Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the leading priest, and he asked, how much would you pay me to betray Jesus? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. From that time on, he began looking for an opportunity to betray him. Obviously, he was greedy. Now, 30 pieces of silver is significant. If you're taking notes, write Exodus 21, 32 in your notes. You can look it up this afternoon, Exodus 21, 32. 30 pieces of silver was the price of a slave. Now, listen, folks. Judas was probably very well-versed in the Old Testament, so he knew this. The high priest definitely knew that. So it's almost, this is a disrespect in and of itself. We will sell this guy who claims to be the king of the Jews. We're going to sell him for the price of a slave. But it's also, it's a significant amount of money. 30 pieces of silver in Jesus' day was equal to about 120 denarii. If you don't know who Jerry Lawler is, then you don't know what a denarii is. But a denarii was how, that was a coinage in Jesus' day. And an average day worker would get paid about a denarii a day. So 120 denarii is 20 to 24 weeks' pay. It's, it's not insignificant money. One of the reasons Judas did this is he loved money, man. He loved money more than he loved God. In John chapter 12, verse 4 through 6, it, it really brings this home. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray Jesus, said that the perfume was worth a year's wage. A lady came up, broke a bottle of expensive perfume, started washing Jesus' feet. This really upset Judas. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Boy, can't you hear religious people saying that today? We're doing what with that money? We could have given that to missions. We could have given that to feed the hungry, which are wonderful things. But not that he cared for the poor. He just knew the religious language. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some 
for himself. The word thief in the, the biblical language is, a, is the word kleptus. We get our word kleptomaniac from that. And someone with kleptomania is someone who has an, a, a compulsion to steal. And they don't steal because they need things. It's, it's an emotional or some kind of problem where they steal because they just want to possess things. That certainly may have been Judas, not that he was poor, but he just had a love for money and a, a weird obsession with it. This biblical word literally means a stealer or embezzler, but I think it's, it's also telling that this same word for thief was used later in the New Testament to describe a preacher who would come in, win people's confidence, so he could gain their money and could get their money. Listen, very fundamentally, why did Judas betray Jesus? One thing, man, he just was greedy and he loved money more than he did God. Now, I've got plenty of problems. My wife will testify to you after church about that if you need her to, but Mine is not love of money. So I can say, man, goodness gracious, materialistic people, love and money, all about money. Uh, but, but I've got my issues and so do you. You may say, how could Judas do that for money? But many of us, man, we are selling Jesus second, play, letting him play second fiddle over a lot of other things in our life. It may not be money. It, it may just be self we just want to do what we want to do. So if, if we're on the throne, Jesus can't be on the throne. Or, or maybe it's good things like academics or sports or even family. Listen, you ought to love people second to Jesus. You ought to love your families, the, the first part of the people pyramid. But you ought to love people after Jesus. Some of us are guilty of idolatry. We don't worship money or we don't worship a, a, a golden calf. We just worship all the things around us. We put them above Jesus. Judas began his downward spiral fundamentally because other things in his life were more important to him than God. I want to ask you this morning, what's more important in your life? What's the most important thing in your life? What, what does your checkbook say? What, what would your time, your calendar say? What would it say? Would it say it's Jesus would it say it's self? Would it say it's money? Would it say it's power? What, what is it for you? What is it for me? You want to wreck your life, a good example to follow would be Judas. When you put other things above Christ, you're headed for trouble. Here's the second thing. We need to trust Jesus and let him lead us. Let me pause. How many of you like to lead Jesus? Raise your hand. You don't know who Jerry Lawler is, but you like to lead Jesus. You like to tell God what you want, him to, want to do and ask him to bless it? Are any of you guilty of that? It's interesting in this story. Why did, why did Judas portray Jesus? Greedy? Absolutely. Demon-possessed? Absolutely. You don't get possessed by a demon without you inviting it in, by the way. And verse, verse 3, very interesting. When Judas had portrayed him, he realized that Jesus had been condemned to die. And he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. And we're going to see in a moment, he throws it back in the temple. Now, wait a second. If all his motive was, was greed, and all of it was, was money, and he didn't care if Jesus died, why would he be upset now? Why would he be full of regret now? Doesn't make sense. Here's a second really good thought on what, why Judas did what he did. 
A lot of the Jewish people in this day were looking for a Messiah that was a military leader. Man, they were oppressed by Rome. They were beat down. They were looking for a Messiah to come in like the one in Revelation where he comes on on a white horse with a big sword and he stomps out the evil government and the evil people and the Christians and the Jewish people will rule. That's what they were looking for. And Jesus was not giving it to them at all. And some scholars believe actually what Judas was trying to do, besides being greedy and just messed up in his heart, he decided to play God. Jesus is not going to do what he needs to do and step up and take power. I'll force him to have to do this. And so if I get him arrested, he will step up. He will pull his robe off. His Superman cape will be under that. And he will start squashing people. And he will put us as the Jewish people on the throne and the rule around there. And it didn't happen. Not many of us are worried this morning about overthrowing the government. But you may be trying to force God to do some things today that God doesn't want you to do. You're praying about things. And listen, I don't read your mail, so if this punches you in the heart, it's between you and God. But you're dealing with some issues. And you decide what you want to do, and then you ask God to bless it. I can, listen, everything I'm telling you, I've been guilty of. You're unhappy in your marriage, so you start looking for reasons that will justify what you're going to do. And you ask God to bless it. You're wanting to marry somebody that you shouldn't marry. And God's telling you it's wrong, and the Bible tells you it's wrong, the Holy Spirit's telling you it's wrong. But you just justified enough and you just push God back over in the corner and you just make sense of it in your mind. You can rationalize and justify anything, even selling Jesus Christ out. Because, hey, you're doing it so he'll step up and get to the throne where he belongs, right? What are you justifying this morning? What am I justifying? What personal decision are you trying to force God to do for you? Instead of follow God. What professional decision? Again, we have a tendency to pray and say, God, show me what to do. I know what to do. Thank you. God bless me. Charles Stanley is a great preacher in Atlanta. He's, listen, this is a principle you need to never forget. He said, when you're making decisions, you need to get your heart in neutral. If you don't know what that means, a lawnmower, a motorcycle, oh, I don't even know if they make stick shift cars anymore, but you put it neutral on a flat surface, you can push it frontwards or backwards, easy. Too many times in my life, I've been in gear knowing where I wanted to go and then I wanted God to approve it. See, God wants you to get your heart in neutral and let him lead you where to go. Someone said years ago, you follow God's will, you don't force God's will. You follow God's will, you don't force God's will. Man, is that correct? How many of you have ever heard this before? Well, if the door's open, that's God, and that means you need to do it. You ever heard that? Okay. That's baloney in the Greek and the Hebrew language. Let me explain why that's baloney. You've got to have an open door. Through the years, I, a guy that Clayton and I went to college with, he used to come back to the dorm about once a month saying, I've met my future wife. I'm going to marry this girl. We're getting married. I feel God is telling me. He was a preacher too, so he had authority from God. And then after about a month or two, we realized God was not telling the girl that. 
You can't do it without an open door. Somebody say amen. If he's leading her, he better be leading me and vice versa. But because the door's open does not mean it's God. Read in Acts chapter 26 and 27. God tells Paul, don't y'all get on that ship and go. But he doesn't have the authority. He's just a prisoner. And then the wind starts blowing, and the, and the sailors say, man, that must be a sign from God. The doors open, and they go, and they almost all die. An open door does not mean it's God. But you've got to go through an open door, right? Yes. Let God open the door. Don't kick it open. Let God be the one who makes the door where you can walk through it. Don't kick through it. Why, why did Judas sell out the Son of God? He was greedy. There were other things in his life more important than Jesus. And apparently, he was trying to force Jesus to do something that he thought Jesus needed to do, and it wasn't the right thing. And I've done that a bunch of my life, and so have you. Trust Jesus enough in the darkness and the silence and the pain to continue to follow him and don't try to create a way that he's not opened or you're going to get in trouble. Here's the third lesson I think Judas shows us. Man, we need to get real and get right with God. And we need to do it this morning. If we were looking at the most fundamental thing with Judas... was he never in his life got right and real with God. I'll touch on this more in a moment. Was Judas a Christian? No. No. Write these verses down. John chapter 6, verse 70 and 71. John 6, verse 70 and 71. John 17, verse 12. Jesus said that Judas was a devil. Demon-possessed. Could he have been saved? Could he have become a Christian? Absolutely. Could he even after his horrible deed? I, absolutely he could have. He didn't commit the unpardonable sin. But here's what's so crazy. This guy walked with Jesus Christ for three years. You think you know the Bible? You don't know the Bible better than Judas. You think you know theology? You don't know theology better than Judas. You think you look good religiously? Many of you do. You, you don't look better than Judas. It, write this down to John chapter 13, verse 26 through 30. This is the Lord's Supper. And all the Gospels tell a different, give a different take on it. But Peter asked John, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And I love what Peter does. Peter elbows John. He goes, ask him who? <laughs> Don't you like that? All of us need a guy we can elbow. Amen. Somebody we can, Greg Phillips, you're a guy we can elbow. Greg, ask him who? Who's, who's going to do it? So John does. John says, Jesus, Peter's too chicken. You only learned this in seminary. Y'all don't know this. And Who's going to betray you? Because you're thinking, oh, they knew all along is Judas. We've seen the movies. He looked like the devil. Uh-uh. And Jesus said, the one who's fixing to dip his bread in my wine, that's the guy. Judas does it. And then Jesus says, go and do what you, you're going to do. And he leaves, and none of the guys still get it that it was Judas. 
You know, one, one of the reasons I believe that that's true is because, man, he looked like the real thing. He smelled like the real thing. I mean, he was absolutely the guy that you would identify as the perfect God follower. Listen, they chose him to be the treasurer. You don't choose dumb people or people you think that are dishonest to be the treasurer. Would you agree with that? Hey, we need a treasure. Who's the dumbest, most dishonest person in the church? Bring them forward. Let's give them the money. You don't do that. You get the person you trust. You get the person who you believe is, is going to be articulate, intelligent, and honest. Judas, of all the disciples, was the only one from Judea. That doesn't mean anything to you right now. Hopefully it will in just a second. I want to show you a map of Palestine in Jesus' day. This is Galilee up here. Jesus grew up here in Nazareth, up in here, Samaria. This is they were the enemy of the Jewish people. Really, Israel, as we would say, was divided kind of in two by Samaria. Here's Judea. There's Jerusalem right there. You know, it's the hot spot. And, and all, 11 of the disciples and Jesus are from Galilee. Judas is the only one from Judea. And you say, well, why does that matter? Well, because they considered Galileans were kind of country. And they kind of had an accent. And they kind of talked like they were from Galilee. You know what I'm saying? And, and the people from Judea were closer to Jerusalem, and they were more sophisticated. And Judas is the only one from Judea. Judas' name means Judah, praise of the Lord. I mean, this guy, listen, this guy would be your top deacon. He would have probably been a minister. He would have been teaching your Bible study classes. He would have been arguing theology with you. He was the treasurer, and he was as lost as he could be. He was a hypocrite. In Jesus' day, and in the Greek world, a hypocrite wasn't a bad thing. It just meant an actor. When you, when you went to the theater, all the actors were men. So if you're going to be a, a woman, you've got to wear a mask. So Josh is whoever, and Braden is Mrs. Whoever, so Braden wears a mask. He's a hypocrite. He's somebody who plays a part. He wears a mask, and that word evolved to be an ugly word. See, Judas wore a mask. You wanted to be around Judas. You wanted to hear what he had to say. He walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He was in Jesus' midst all the time. Yet he dies separated from God forever. In verse 3, look in verse 3. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse, and he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the priest. If you're taking notes, this is gigantic. The word remorse is not the word repentance. The word remorse means to be regretful. It means I, I regret that I got caught. I regret that I'm in prison. I regret the consequences. But it's no change of mind and heart. The word repentance in your Bible is a huge word. Repent means to regret, but it means to, to, to have a change of mind and change of heart. When you regret something, you're sorry it happened, and you wish it wouldn't have happened, and you wish you hadn't got caught, and you're sorry for all the ugly consequences, but it doesn't change you. When you repent, you're sorry. And you regret it, but your mind and attitude towards God and others is different. Judas never repented. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, listen to what it says. Paul had written him a hard letter. He had rebuked him. He says, now I'm glad I sent you this letter. Not because it hurts you, but because you, the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. 
so you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants from them and from Judas and from you and me leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But listen, worldly sorrow which leads which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. That's exactly what happened to Judas. Look in verse 4. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care, they retort. Weren't they great religious people? What do we care? Okay, guys, listen. Did Judas realize he sinned? Absolutely. Did Judas confess his sin? Absolutely. To the priest, to the men, but he never did to Jesus or the Father. He never did to Jesus or the Father. And in verse 5, look what, what is the ultimate horrible result. Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple court and went out and he hanged himself. The priests are probably in what's called the court of priests. And Judas can't go in there, but he can either see over there and see through the door. And when he realizes that they're not going to give him any kind of uh, forgiveness or, or take the money back or be nice to him, he just takes the money and he throws it back in there. And then he goes and he hangs himself. And, and today, Judas is in hell for eternity. If you were to read in Acts chapter 1, verse 25, it talks about Judas. And they're replacing him. And it said, he's gone, he's dead, and he went to where he belongs. He didn't go to hell because he killed himself. That's not in the Bible. You know, why, you know why he went to hell? Because he died without a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something that's horrifyingly scary to me. is that you can come to church every week. You can argue theology. You can know the Bible. You can be religious and pristine and moral and held up in esteem in your church. But if you haven't ever got real and got right with God, you do not know God. I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you this morning. Get real with God today. Some of you are Christians, but man, you're not where you need to be. You need to get real with God. You're not going to get anywhere until you get real with God. You're not a Christian. You're never going to find Christ until you get real with Him. And you need to repent. Repent doesn't say, I'm sorry, gosh, wish it wouldn't happen. Repent repent saying, God help me to mean this, and God help me to go a different direction. I'm going to stumble and fall, but God, help me to be different. Help my mind and my heart towards you and others to be different about sin. Humble yourself and surrender yourself to Christ. That's exactly what Judas did not do. I want to read to you something someone sent me this week, and I want to clarify someone sent this to me who's a church member who goes to the early service. His name is Richard, and if you're mad at this, please email Richard Moak later today. M-O-A-K, Richard Moak. (laughs) Judas had the best pastor. Do you agree with that? Jesus is your, who's your pastor? Jesus. Y'all cool with that? No, you don't want you. Come on. He had the best leader, amen? The best advisor, the best counselor, the best discipler. Who discipled you? Jesus. Yet he failed horribly. See, the problem ultimately is not your leadership or the church you go to. If your attitude or character doesn't change, or your heart is not transformed, you will always be the same. Wow. 
possible to walk side by side with Jesus for three years and lose your life and lose your soul? Absolutely. Is it possible to be in a church almost every week and die someday and lose your soul? Absolutely. You don't humble yourself and get real with God. Repent. You're going to miss him. Rachel, raise your hand. Rachel Bertrand, yes. You were looking for another Rachel. Okay, you're not in trouble, Rachel. She was not asleep. Rachel was baptized last Sunday morning, and she shared a video. Y'all remember that video? Rachel, nobody remembers that. Yes, two people do. It was unbelievably good. It was unbelievably good. And Rachel shared something that a friend of hers shared from a pastor that was one of the best things I've ever heard. Uh, the difference between being a real follower of Christ and a fake one. And, and the pastor said, it's the difference in a fake plant and a real plant. I, I am not a, a plantologist. And if I'm looking at a plant from a distance, a fake plant a lot of times looks better, doesn't it? I mean, it, it doesn't wither, its leaves don't fall off. But a fake plant is what? It's a fake plant. It doesn't have life. It, it doesn't bear fruit. It looks like the real thing. It, it, from a distance, it may even look better than the real thing, but it's not. It's, it's a fake plant. It's not a real plant. And if you don't have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, no matter how prettied up you are, you're a fake plant, what the Bible says. And I want to challenge you today. Don't, don't lose your life like Judas did. Make the right choices this morning. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, I pray that you will get right and get real with God today. Get real, get straight with Him this morning. If you're not a Christian, maybe you know you're not, maybe you're unsure, but you're ready today The Holy Spirit's tugging on your heart this morning. Pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I want to repent of my sin. And Jesus, I I believe that you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Come into my heart, Jesus. And I surrender my life to you, Jesus. Jesus.